This week, we'll be doing a little looking back and some looking forward, cadets, along with the news, snark, and bleeps you know and love us for. More about the repair program, Apple number one in both computers and tablets, big tech works on the end of passwords, an Apple troll writes a book, and Amazon's Alexa shares your thoughts to advertisers. For Monday, May 9th, this is the final regular episode, episode 275 of Space Generation Control, we are ready for launch. Affirmative. All right, cadets, Space Javelin is go. Pretty good run. Pretty good run. Holy cow. The original Mackinac podcast debuted on February 7th. I had to go look that up. <laughs> February 7th, 2015. Mm-hmm. It was me and Michelle. Yep. You didn't show up until episode three. Okay. <laughs> By the way, Mike, episode two is in the archives on the SoundCloud. It's just misfiled for some reason. Oh, well, that's interesting. It's between like episodes eight and nine. Oh, well, that makes perfect sense. Of course. But it's there. All of our episodes from the Mackinac podcast are there. And I wanted to spend just a couple of moments talking about that first episode with Mike, because obviously that led to great things. But that first episode, Mike, it's amazing for two reasons. Number one is that's the lowest energy anyone has ever heard be. I don't know what was going on there. Uh, was, I don't know. Was I on Quaaludes? I don't know. I had hope the, and optimism <laughs> in 2015. So the other thing about that one was we had you, Michelle, William, and Sanjeev all on at the same time, a worldwide gathering of then Mackinac employees. That was amazing. I wanted to mention, for those of you who have never looked back through the Mackinac archives, just a couple of things. Malcolm and William started a secondary podcast called One More Thing, which was very clever and very funny, and I enjoyed it a great deal. And then Mike and I would do, believe this or not, an extra podcast from time to time called Off Topic, where we talked about non-tech stuff. Yep. That was awesome. Yep, we sure did. Yeah, Jordan Anderson yeah. was on that one for a while, too. We just got a compliment this week, Mike, about the music that Space Javelin uses, and so I wanted to take a moment to speak spotlight one of our other Mackinac staffers, Bradley McBurney, who, when we transitioned over to Space Javelin, wrote the music for that. We do mention his name in the credits all the time, but Mm. somebody said this is the second at least person who has told me directly that the music, man, I love that music. It really gets me pumped up. And I'm like, okay, we did one thing right. We got the music right. (laughs) But thank you, Bradley. So altogether, during our Mackinac run, we did 118 episodes in just over 17 months. And then we debuted Space Javelin a little while after Mackinac sadly shut down. And I wanted to mention, because I have often mentioned the Hammercast, but we did do a couple of kind of sneaky off-topic episodes by having special episodes, including one that was an ode to Apollo 11. Yep, that was Dwayne Sibley did that one for us. He was one of the hosts on the Hammercast that we hosted here. Which was awesome. Mm-hmm. I might add also that William Gallagher performed one of his short stories on another one of those special episodes. So that's pretty cool. And then we did do a season two for a while, but we just decided to renumber it after a while. Yeah. It took us until episode 95 to go past 100,000 listens. Oh, yeah. We way past that. Way beyond that now. <laughs> <laughs> Put it mildly. It's been a good run. I have appreciated having everyone listen. I have appreciated doing this. Yep. I am not in a point in my life where I literally have the time to do it anymore. This is not the first thing I've cut out and it won't be the last. 
uh, this year is going to be different for me. And we'll be talking about it more toward the end of the year, I think. Mm -hmm. Right. And speaking of that, I might as well go ahead and announce that we, I don't know whether Mike will be able to join us, but I, at least, will be doing a special report because this is the last regular episode, but we'll be back for the special report for WWDC because we just can't resist. (laughs) Besides, my spidey sense is telling me this is going to be a very special year. I differ on that. If I can make it, I will. But I don't think that this is going to be a remarkable WWDC at all. Well, we'll see. I think this is going to be OSs and here you go, folks. That's all. But even then, those are special enough. So for you stats fans, all together, we're going to finish up with 470 podcasts across seven years, three months. And of course, Mike and I have been doing podcasts for different things longer than that. Mm -hmm. That's an average of 5.4 podcasts per month. Next week will be the first week in 11 years, maybe 12, that I have not had to produce a podcast. Right. See? There you go. We will be keeping the archive up. We're not closing the door on occasional future episodes or special reports or something like that, as I already mentioned. So if you wouldn't mind, please keep the subscription, otherwise known as follow, going. And then once in a while, you'll get this beautiful surprise. And you could say, oh, it's those guys. It's those guys. So till the next time that we take the ship out of dry dock, I just have one final command, and that is please stay tuned. We talked with Stephen last week about the Apple Repair Program and basically covered what I think is a lot of what Mike might have said about it, which is that for most people, uh, it's probably a bad idea. Apple's been getting some pushback about the repair program. It's not exactly what the right of repair people would like. Uh, Yeah, you were never going to get that. (laughs) All right. So it's not 2000. No. Anymore. The iPhone is not a blue and white G3 where you can fold down the door and there's this big chunk and three and a half inch hard drive. Right. And even then, you wouldn't even consider doing a component level repair on the motherboard. I'm not exactly sure what folks were expecting for this battery replacement program. I really don't know. Were you not expecting them to bundle up all the tools that they use in the Apple stores to get it done? Did you not think how this was going to go? Were they supposed to just give you these tools? I'm not clear on how anybody thought that this was going to be a near free experience. Yeah. I do not like repairing iPhones. I avoid it at every possibility I can because the cables are tiny. If you put the force in this direction, it's fine. If you put it in the other direction, it's not. It's easy to break stuff. It's easy to break stuff. Spend the 69 bucks and have Apple do it. Yeah. Now, if you're long out of warranty and the price of repairing a thing is really high, well, first of all, there's probably a reason for that. But secondly, you've got a lot of skills and your time is worthless. Then go ahead because you might save some money that way. So the program is there for the people who qualify there. But Honestly, 90% of the time, especially if you have Apple Care, and remember, the only phones that are qualified for this program at all are probably still under Apple Care. So the SE 2022, the iPhones 12 and 13, that's it so far. The conventional wisdom on Apple service, as in parts and bits and that kind of thing, is that it runs at about break even. I know folks don't want to hear that, but it's hard to tell because of how Apple bundles up services and Apple Care and all that stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why the wisdom on this is that this would be an inexpensive repair. I really can't fathom the logic that anyone's coming at. Said, well, I mean, it's criminal that Apple charges more for self-repair than they do for repair in an Apple store. Well, for starters, it's not. No, that's the economy of scale at work. Right. And the fact that they have the parts in the Apple store. Could Apple do more for right to repair? I don't know. Every design choice is a trade-off. 
you may not like glue, but it makes the units more durable. Yeah. That's just a fact. Yeah. You may not like pentalobe screws, but it keeps folks that don't have the technical skills of your average space javelin listener out of the phones because they think that, oh, yeah, that's not a problem. I will just pop the hood on this baby and find a component. And go, oh, well, there's your problem. <sighs> Come on. Come on. Particularly for iPhones, that's generally not the issue. Now, there are certain iPhone repairs that almost any Apple tech will tell you are pretty quick to do. Battery replacement, for example. But it still involves risk. Let's be clear about this. It's relatively quick. Getting the battery out of an iPhone or a Samsung or a Google Pixel mm -hmm. is not a 20-minute in-and-out process. Right. It just isn't. Exactly. There is no way to say that this is not better. Because you can get the tools, you can get the parts. Two weeks ago, you couldn't get the tools or get the parts. Right. But it's not what folks wanted. And I don't know why anyone was thinking that Apple was suddenly going to put a battery door on the back of an iPhone. Yeah, there's the thing. Exactly. We've gone over before, and Mike just reiterated, that there's a reason why Apple doesn't want you to get inside the machine, especially without proper training and tools. I will say, actually, that both the Apple Insider podcast and we noticed that the manuals that Apple is supplying consumers now as part of this self-repair program are actually better than the ones that the techs get. Yeah, they are. They're more clearly written yep. because they assume a level of inexperience, which is exactly what you want. Yeah, the manuals are pretty good. As far as Apple's repair manuals go, they've been, honestly, over the years, they've been a little shaky. Yes. The old service source stuff that I used to use just it's kind of step one, remove this plastic. Step two, take everything else out. Step three, replace the component. Uh, okay. So these are better. Yeah. But again, one of my biggest concerns, Mike, and maybe you can reassure me on this, but mm. one of my biggest concerns about the self-repair program, besides the risk that the user doesn't really realize that they're, they're taking mm -hmm. if they break something else while they're in there. Mm -hmm. But there's also battery safety. Now, as an Apple tech, we have a safe and a bucket of sand and all the things we need to do if there's a battery event. And as far as I know, I'm sure Apple includes some warnings about this, but that's a really high risk and bad things can happen if you mishandle the battery. So I'm encouraging people, please, unless you are a recently retired Apple tech, perhaps, or something obvious like that. Um, really, unless you have absolutely no other option, I would really discourage you from the self-repair program. Yeah, I have a really hard time recommending this self-repair for anybody. Yep. And I said that this is how this was going to go. Yep, you did. By the way, jumping back to the episode three for a minute, do you realize that on that very first appearance you predicted, and I believe it will ultimately turn out seven years later to be borne out, but you predicted that Apple was not building an entire car, but that was building the car experience. Did you realize that? Uh, yeah, I, I've been, been beating that drum for seven years. I've been saying this the whole time. I think you're going to ultimately be right. I think so, too. In other Apple news, we know about at least one employee who's not going to be returning to Apple because of their policy of starting slowly the return to the office. And that is Apple's director of machine learning, Ian Goodfellow. He's decided to resign after three years because his quote is, I believe strongly that more flexibility would have been the best policy for my team. The current requirement is one day a week in the office. 
Which is going to increase over time. Yeah. Apple's not going to change their mind on this. No. (laughs) I think they have data that we don't have. I don't think they have data at all. I think that they are wedded to the corporate culture of having everyone in the headquarters. I don't think this is based on data. Well, they're already starting to lose people. And there has been some leaks that say a lot of Apple employees have started updating their resumes on LinkedIn and places like that. So it indicates that they're looking for other work. But who, Mm -hmm. who in the tech industry is going to hire them if their demand is, I can't ever be seen in person. Well, that's not their demand, right? Their demand is not this. What is the argument? The argument is teamwork. It's that strange thing that happens when everyone is cycling around and milling around and talking at the water cooler and talking at the cafeteria, which is, which is, we have a chance to revolutionize how modern business is performed. Right. We have a chance to actually go the best person for the job, regardless of where they are in the planet. For a minute, we had a chance to do that just in general. And now it was like, no, we all got to come back to these multi. Nope, your commute. Go ahead and waste those three hours of commuting time a day. Yep, sure. That seems fine. Mm -hmm. It's nonsense. And it's and it doesn't make any sense for a modern working environment. Yeah, I agree with this. But the occasional in-person meeting is just you're never going to get away from that. Why? Well, for one thing. Why? There is a subtle, admittedly, but different dynamic when you are in the same room. And you get what from that? Well, donut. I mean, you know what? I can get donuts (laughs) at this desk in a half an hour. And not any donuts. I can get Krispy Kremes delivered to my house in 20 minutes. True. Good point. This is old business being old business. This is not about better worksmanship. This is not about more efficiency. This is 100% about control and folks being concerned that since there isn't somebody hovering over their shoulder all the time, oh my God, they might take an hour and five minutes for lunch. Yeah. Oh, the horror. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. This isn't national defense. And I agree with you that for most jobs in the tech industry, home-based, if if that's what they want, will work better for them. And they'll probably produce more work. I mean, at least the studies I've seen in Europe show that the more you keep people at home, the more work they do. But none of these jobs require a physical presence. Yeah. None of them. Yeah. But here's the thing, right? Facebook and Google and all the other Microsoft, the other big players are actually further along in this, in the return to office thing. So it doesn't make it less stupid. No, it does not make it less stupid. Doesn't make it more stupid. It's the same level of dumb. I hope Apple will listen, especially if some high profile people depart, but I'm afraid that's what it's going to take. Yeah. Here's a perfect example of consumer friendly legislation that isn't. In India, customers no longer can use credit cards or debit cards to renew an auto-renewable subscription. They have to fill up their Apple Cash balance, essentially. And the reason for this is because new laws, Mm -hmm. ruling passed by the Reserve Bank of India, to be specific, said that banks, financial institutions, and gateways, that would be Apple, among others, need to require approval before auto-renewing. So it's not auto-renewable anymore, essentially. You see, that's consumer friendly, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Only, no, it's a big pain in the butt now. Yep. Because you're going to, depending on the number of subscriptions you have, you're going to be pestered every month yep. about this. I actually think Apple's on the right side here. Just throw a bunch of cash into the Apple Pay. There's no right side here. This is Apple responding to legislation. Yeah. On the last episode, I told you that Qualcomm says we're going to work with Nuvia to make ARM processors. Okay. These Nuvia guys are going to get sued if their ARM-based chip design bears any resemblance to the M1. And just as proof of that, Apple has launched a lawsuit against Rivos, 
which is another system-on-chip technology firm, they've hired over 40 Apple employees in the last 12 months. And Apple is specifically suing at least two of them for copying proprietary data and taking it with them. Yeah, this company looks strange from the get-go. And there was all these headlines about so-and-so departs for chip startup, so-and-so departs for chip startup, so-and-so departs for chip startup. And sooner or later, this was going to happen. Yeah, I think those newbie guys better start contacting some good lawyers because I think you're going to need them. Just a little update on the whole Dutch dating app saga. It's still going on. (laughs) That's kind of it. The Dutch regulator said, yes, these new proposals are an improvement and you're getting closer. So they're not insisting on a new fine yet, but they're still not sufficient for European and Dutch rules, according to the Dutch authorities. So they are preparing a new subject order for a penalty, but they're holding off. They're hoping to see this path of improvement continue. Why don't they just say exactly what they want? Well, yeah, maybe they have, but they keep consulting with the people who stand to benefit by making more suggestions. So that aren't what Apple has in mind. So this could go round and round for a while. And speaking of things that go round and round for a while, There has been a lawsuit, which was BS in the beginning. But anyway, it was basically that people who had an iPhone 4S who downloaded iOS 9 saw a performance hit. At least they felt that way anyway. I suppose they did. And for six years, they have been suing Apple, trying to allege that Apple knew perfectly well that iOS 9 upgrades would make their 4S suck. They have actually settled this now, and it's going to end up, after the lawyers, you may get, ooh, ready? Up to $15. Yep, 15 whole dollars. For six years mm-hmm. of fighting. So, yeah. Now, the lawyers are not getting $15. <laughs> but there you go. So, if you qualify, you can add your name on to the settlement and maybe get some 15 bucks. Hey, it's a free lunch. But see, this is the problem. Every time that there's a system update, every time since the dawn of computing, you have lost computing power to background tasks that the system is doing now that it didn't do before. Yeah, this is the essential weird part of it. I mean, it's admittedly some Apple updates, particularly to the Mac, have increased efficiencies. And so it makes the machines run slightly better. But it's not like, oh, my God, you have to put an M1 chip in there for that to happen. But yeah, the system does more things. Therefore, it is bigger. And therefore, it may slow your phone down, particularly if it's well past, even though it's supported, it's well past the date. I'm looking at you, iPhone 6S. It would seem obvious to me. Folks bandy around, you know, planned obsolescence, which... Well, I think the success proves that to be... Well, it's just a weird statement. It it has always been a strange statement. Yeah. Are you expecting Apple to somehow not do more with their system software or Microsoft or anybody for that matter? Yeah. Microsoft's getting a lot of this kickback from people whose machine tells them that it's not capable of upgrading to Windows 11 and they keep trying to find ways around this. But you've gotten the warning that this isn't going to work well on your machine. This seems like a simple concept. And I'm sure that everyone listening to this podcast understands that operating system X is going to take fewer resources than operating system X plus four. I don't know how many more times I can explain that to people to get them to understand that fundamental concept. Right. The Thunderbolt 4 Pro cable that Apple talked about and which everybody made fun of because it's $129 for the 1.8 meter version. Now there's a three meter version and that costs $159. Okay, if you need that three-meter cable, including everything it brings, including power delivery, it is literally, literally the only game in town. Nobody is making three-meter Thunderbolt 
four cables. Right. It's just not happening. Now, will someone do it in the future? Probably. It's probably soon, probably within the next couple of months. Sure, somebody at OWC is working on it. So here's the interesting dichotomy. The $129 two-meter Apple Thunderbolt cable, I don't think it's worth it. I think it's a monster cable. I don't think there's any reason to buy monster cables, and I don't think there's any reason to buy this cable. Hmm. On the other hand, if you want your display nine feet away from your Mac Studio, and it's not HDMI, this is the way to do it. Yep, this is the way to do it. Also, teardowns have shown that Apple didn't skimp on this thing. Thunderbolt 4 cables are already starting to appear, and they are of mixed quality. So far, many vendors are starting to support this, but you pay your money and you take your chances. If you have to pay $159 for the three-meter version, at least you know now, thanks to these teardowns, that, yeah, this is as high a quality cable as Apple feels like they can put together for it. Mm-hmm. I guess that's worth something. I'm sure it's much easier to say this is another case of the Mac Pro wheels. Well, like I said, the $129 one, sure. $159 one, no. I have a stock tip for you guys out there. No, we haven't gone public. <laughs> Darn it. We should have thought of that. Mm. Anyway. There's an easy way to make money using Apple stock, and that is just to watch what Warren Buffett does, because he's made literally hundreds of millions of dollars trading Apple stock. He recently purchased another $600 million worth of Apple shares. That means that the whole of Berkshire Hathaway, which is still one of the best regarded stock trading houses, holds 40% of its portfolio in one company, Apple. And periodically, he'll sell it. Not maybe that entire amount, but he'll sell some of it. And then when the stock goes down, he buys it back. And indeed, on this most recent one, he said, I would have bought more, except that the price went up again too fast and I couldn't. So in other words, buy low, sell high. Yep. <laughs> Although as we record this, Apple's turned lower. So maybe. That's easy enough advice to give. It's hard enough advice to execute. Researchers have discovered a small flaw in the Apple Silicon chips that could lead to data leakage, but they say this really isn't a big deal. And this is the first flaw that they've found. Remember Intel? (laughs) Let's compare. Oh, no, let's not compare. So yeah, the Apple Silicon chips so far seem pretty solid, but they're not perfect, apparently. Good news, there's an M2 around the corner. There is. So, there we go. In the real world, there's no real threat. Right, no real threat. And the researchers say that, too. Yes. The researchers say that this is not really a big deal. It's hard to execute. It's hard to implement. While it exists, and it's good that the researchers are working on it, the practical difference between today and last week when this came out is zero. I'll just mention that the flaw exists in the data memory-dependent prefetcher. If you know what that is, then you know what that is. And it also affects the A14 family of chips. But again, doesn't seem like it's very exploitable. So don't worry about it. Mm-hmm. In other tech news, Apple is number one, according to Canalis, in both computers and tablets in terms of sales. Of course, they're speculating on those numbers, but still their numbers say Apple is number one on both categories. Yep. The PC industry as a whole is actually down about 5%. As I mentioned last week, Apple is overall up 8%, even with the very constrained iPad supply. Wow, this is pretty good. Assuming that these figures are vaguely correct, it was really shocking to see that both HP and Lenovo took a serious hit, and they mostly make computers. So that's a big problem. But yeah, for those of you who've been waiting for the day that Apple was number one, it's happened. It probably won't be the same next quarter, but it's happened. 
So have a cake and celebrate. Yep. There's a book out that talks about how unhappy Johnny Ive was and that, that Tim Cook didn't get along. And so I've resigned after years of frustration. Okay. So here's what I'm going to say in this book. This book is written by Trip Mickle from the Wall Street Journal. Yep. That's what I was going to say, which means approach skeptically. This is my opinion. I have not seen a story by Mickle that has been accurate or he has not inserted himself in. Mm -hmm. As far as I am concerned, based on what I know about Apple history and the folks involved in these things, the veracity of this book seems extremely profoundly low to me. Yes. For example, none of the principal people named in here are ever quoted about anything because he doesn't have access to them. I do have Apple Insider's pre-release copy of this book. Mm -hmm. It's not written well. Of course, this is my opinion. It is historically inaccurate. It plays fast and loose with what we actually know has happened in many cases. Yep. This is mostly fiction as far as I'm concerned. And I completely agree, but I don't have a pre-release copy of the book. I just know who Trip Mickle is. Yeah. He is one of the very small number of analysts who routinely get roasted by the Macalope for doing such a bad job. Apple Insider has made an executive decision to not cover this book because of it. Yeah. It is not a good book. And I'm not saying that to be Apple positive or anything like that, because anytime you get two people in a room, they're at some point in the time they're not going to get along. Yeah. And Mickle in particular has always been always pretty down on Apple. Yeah. Whenever Apple comes out with a new thing, he's the first guy to come out with an article going, this will never take off. The guy has been publicly refuted by Apple like 10 times. Yes. And looking back at his reporting on Apple, it's been wrong more than it's been right. Yeah. So that's ethically questionable. He is proceeding with stories and he's proceeding with recountings that he has to know are not the truth of the matter. Yeah. And that's what I'm going to say about Mickle's book. Right. And that's all we have to say about it. So how about some exciting news? There was a riot at a Quanta factory in Shanghai. Yep. <laughs> that's exciting. It seems because we are not there. So obviously we can't tell you firsthand, but it seems like tensions at the plant led to a riot because there are already some positive COVID cases at this plant, but everybody is super, super zero tolerance locked down because Chinese authorities are trying to stop the spread. So the thing to do is because the workers are trying to go back to their dormitories and they were denied this, they pushed through the barriers and attacked the guards who attempted to contain them. I don't know if any of them escaped, but the point was that they're as afraid of catching COVID as everybody else is. And because there were already some positive cases in the plant, they don't want to be locked in with COVID people. Yeah, the Chinese response, I... <sighs> So the world has mishandled COVID just as a whole. Yes. 15 million dead. Zero COVID is not a reasonable strategy to try and maintain. Right. The Chinese approach, which is to try and get to zero COVID by locking everybody basically in their room. Right. Lockdowns to an extent are OK. We've talked about this at some limit here and mostly two years ago. Yeah. But doing it without providing some kind of subsistence level survival isn't practical. Yeah. Just saying, oh, you got to stay home. All oh, your bills. Isn't that's not a practical way to do it. You can't do it that way. Yeah, that's your problem. Ultimately, this was going to happen. You got these people in dormitory style living. You're not providing them with sufficient food or water or sanitation. They're going to riot. Yep, that's going to happen every time. Turning to something a little more friendly, Fortnite is back on the iPhone in a touch friendly form. Thanks to xCloud Gaming. Yep. Here's the thing, though. Xbox Cloud Gaming couldn't do this by themselves, which means that Epic brought them a touch-friendly version to use. And indeed, you can play it free. Sure. So, well, that's one way to avoid the commission. Yeah. Hmm. 
<laughs> of course, you're not making any money, but hey, iOS, iPadOS, or Android, even Windows PC, you can play. Well, they're doing the Fortnite bucks, right? I guess. They're making the money in the net purchases, right? That's yeah. the whole point of getting this done. And we have talked at some length about cloud gaming and how Apple approaches it. And cloud gaming is not going to be for everybody. Like, for instance, it's fine at this chair because I'm close to the Dulles Data Center. Right. And my latency to the Dulles Data Center is very, 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 very low. But I don't have to go far out of this area. Uh-huh. Like, I have to get halfway between Richmond and here before it becomes not really that tenable to use. Oh, right. Okay. The cloud gaming, it's a great idea when it works and as long as you've got a good connection to a relevant data center. Right. But is it a solution for everything? It is not. And when is that appeal that Epic keeps threatening going to happen? I don't even know of a date. October? November? Maybe. I don't know. That's a good question. I'm not holding much hope for Epic on this. Yeah, I don't see any real reversal on this happening. No. The European Union has gotten more out of Apple than Epic has. Yeah. (laughs) Let's put it that way. And perhaps future European Union rules will position Apple in a place where Epic is a little more comfortable. But frankly, Epic has a plan and Apple just is not going to adhere to that. And their plan is not workable. Yep. Enough said. In other gaming news, what? What is happening? We'd never talk about this stuff. Feral Interactive is bringing out Total War Warhammer 3. Yep. I wanted to get Mike's opinion on this, but there's a catch. It requires an Apple Silicon Mac. It is not Rosetta. It is native. Inevitable. This is inevitable. Yeah. This is the future, kids. Farrell said something interesting about So we could never really rely on what Apple had for low-end GPUs. Well, you never had a problem talking about what GPUs that gamers had used on Windows. So that's kind of a little weird. Yeah. I get it. I understand it. It's kind of a strange talking point since most of the PCs sold can't play your games either. Mm. Yeah. And getting a video card these days is a challenge. It's gotten much better. The last couple of weeks, it's, it's gotten loads and loads better. To get one at retail price was impossible just a couple months ago. And at least it's possible now. It's suddenly gotten much better, but it was a quest three months ago. It's a side quest. (laughs) This was inevitable. There was always going to be a first game for Mac that required Apple Silicon. Well, there have been games that required, but on the other hand, it hasn't been just Apple Silicon. This is the first one that I could find that's just Apple Silicon. And it was inevitable. It was going to happen. Right. If you still have your Intel Mac, you might be upset at this. But like I said, I don't think Apple's going to support Rosetta for a huge amount longer. No. Again, I think that certain developers have gotten a memo that hasn't been made public yet. I think maybe. uh, About the time limit for Rosetta. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, this game, Warhammer 3, is available for 60 bucks US. You can download it on Steam. The interesting thing that I thought was when I noticed the specs, it says that it requires at least 8 gigs of RAM. That seems low for a game like this. Well, you can't buy Apple Silicon without 8 gig of RAM. Well, yeah, but you can often get more. This really should be in That Can't Be Right because it's so horrifying. But it's something we all sort of knew in the back of our heads, but sometimes you need it articulated to go, oh, yeah. A new report last week says that Amazon uses transcriptions of voice data from its Echo devices and sells them to up to 41 advertisers. I don't think that this is a huge shock to anybody. The specifics, I guess, are a little shocking. But so why does Amazon do this? Well, because they get more money for the ads from advertisers if it's based on voice data. And again, transcriptions, not your actual voice goes to the advertisers. Just want to make that clear. Why is Amazon doing this? Because it's Amazon. Because it's Amazon. They can do this. But if you think you're just ordering something from Amazon, but nope, you're telling a whole bunch of other companies what you're ordering or what you're interested in. 
So I'm a spoiled Apple guy, so don't listen to me. But Google devices and Alexa devices are listening. Well, they're taking note. I'm not saying they're listening randomly. Yeah. They can be manipulated to do that. Yes. But they're not, by design, listening randomly. That's correct. But they are taking note of everything you do actually say to them. Now, how about a voice assistant that is trying to be at least as private as Siri? Okay, Sonos. Unfortunately, there's a downside to this, but Sonos is bringing out a new voice assistant to their Sonos devices, and Sonos is generally a fine company. Sonos Voice will act as an alternative assistant option where normally you would have Alexa or Google Assistant. The problem is the key phrase there is, I'm sorry if I trigger anybody, hey, Sonos, which is so similar to hey, Siri. (laughs) Well, we'll see what actually pops out. We'll see what it actually does. We'll see what it listens for. It may just be listening for music-related requests, and we'll see when and if it actually releases. Because it does everything on device. Sonos says nothing goes to the cloud. They don't record audio commands, nothing. Okay. So for music tasks, I am sure they have programmed this very well and it will work amazingly well with Apple Music, Amazon Music, Pandora, Deezer, Sonos Radio, whatever. But ask it who won the baseball game last night. Mm, Probably doesn't know. We'll see. I can't wait to test it. So a group called FIDO, Fast Identity Online, which is an alliance of tech companies that formed in 2020, finally got Apple on board, which is, of course, one of the key players that you would have to have in order for this to work. So Apple, Google, and Microsoft are now all in FIDO, and FIDO wants to create ways for websites and apps to offer secure and simple sign-ins without using passwords. Mm -hmm. The approach they're going to take is, according to the alliance, users will sign in using the same actions that they take multiple times a day, the device pin code or passcode, your fingerprint, your face, and verify it through multiple devices. Okay. Now, the interesting part of this story is that Apple has already proposed something like this, what they called a pass key. And both of these have the goal of moving beyond passwords. And the reason you want to move beyond passwords is because it has gotten increasingly complex, both for users who are strongly encouraged to have an individual, hard-to-guess password for every single website and app they use, and the problem with people constantly forgetting and resetting their passwords is an enormous expense in support for these big tech companies. So naturally, they have a motivation as well. Yes. Now, Apple's idea was to mimic hardware security by using iCloud keychain instead of physical devices like Google has done. But this is compatible with those ideas. Uh, this is great talk. It is great lip service toward a passwordless future. I just don't see any clean execution of this coming in the next few years. Now, the group says, the group says that they plan on implementing standardized features across Apple, Google, and Microsoft that will take advantage of these technologies over the course of the coming year. (laughs) So we are probably going to hear something about it at WWDC since Apple introduced the passkey idea last year. Mm, Will we see it in the new iPhones? Maybe. Not going to happen. Oh, it's certainly going to take quite a while, undoubtedly. But I know that for consumers, not having to have so many passwords or reusing the same passwords, which you really mustn't do, but using your login pin, your biometrics, that's the future we're looking for. And I'm glad to hear that somebody is going for that. But yeah, don't expect it next year or maybe even this decade, quite frankly. In quick notes. Meta has said they're freezing recruitment. They're not going to be hiring for a while, in part because of the stronger privacy features of Apple. Yep. Good. 
That sounds good. I like that idea. Yeah. I think Facebook likes having a convenient scapegoat. Yes. And they love blaming Apple, but mm -hmm. I don't know if Mike's still with AT&T, but they are set to raise some prices on some of their older mobile service plans on uh, probably the people who are grandfathering still. So trying to force you into these newer plans, the unlimited plans and so on. What do you think? Okay. These are not the plans that I am on. This is AT&T trying to simplify their back end for a lot of stuff and trying to migrate folks to the unlimited plans, which if you're doing monthly purchases for your devices, you're on anyway. Yeah. This does involve some pain, though. Those monthly fees on the older plans are rising. $6 a month for single line, $12 a month for family plans. Yep. That's a big jump. Up here in Canada, we're having our own drama with cell phone providers and internet providers. I'm not even going to go into it. If you want to find out more about that, I refer you to Alan Perry's Tech Talk show on CFAX 1070, where I was a guest. There you go. Frontier has launched a limited time offer. They're a cable provider. And if you sign up with them for the Fiber 2 gig service, you can get a free Apple TV 4K and three months of Apple TV Plus. Yep. That's a good deal. If you're a possible Frontier customer, B, interested in switching to Frontier, and C, you're going to go for the Fiber 2 gig. I guess you already have to not have an Apple TV for it to be an advantage to. But uh, you can always use another one. There's more than one TV in a house, typically. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Mozilla's Firefox has reached 100 and the world did not end. Nope. <laughs> there were stories about this, that there was going to be all kinds of problems when they hit 100. Well, here's the thing, right? Y2K was going to be a problem if people did not work on it. And then there wasn't a problem. And people said, well, why did we work on this? That's stupid. Well, that's why it's yeah. only stupid because people worked on it. Right. And this is the same kind of situation. They were absolutely going to be user identification problems when the browser hit version 100, but they got out the word quick enough or people saw the writing on the wall quick enough and say, hey, we're coming up on 100. Maybe we ought to fix this really weird code we got. Yeah. And they fixed it. Well, it wasn't just Mozilla that had to fix code. They had to let webmasters know that if you put your page together using some old package from 20 years ago and it's still up, Yep. Maybe you'll need to go in there and tweak this. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yep. The good news is so far, it doesn't seem like it's causing any problems. And Mac users indeed get new browser wallpapers, picture in picture with subtitles and HDR video. Yep. If their machines can handle that. True enough. Cool. One password, which is probably the last password manager that's an independent password manager that I can still recommend. All the other ones seem to be selling some of your data to advertisers. One password, as far as I know, does not do this. They've updated to version eight for the Mac. They were originally planning on just making the iOS version run on Mac OS, and that is effectively what they ended up doing. But they did bring out a Mac version. So if you're on 1Password for Mac, then you're going to be getting a new version. And it's still on Electron, but maybe it's a little more Mac-centric than they thought it was going to be originally. Yeah, hmm. I don't know yet. I don't like it, but we'll see. Okay. <laughs> because we put out an extra episode with some extra Stephen Robles on there, because he was just so great and was kind enough to stick around and talk about some few other things that we didn't have time for. So we put out this little bonus episode like we did with Alan Perry. Sounds exciting. So I only have one piece of Apple TV Plus news, but I find this fascinating. So Apple TV is going to bring a series reboot of the 1991 romantic drama film Prince of Tides yeah. to Apple TV. And Barbara Streisand is returning not as the star but as the director. Yeah, I mean, I don't have a lot to say about it, but this was interesting to me that this is happening. Honestly, I'm not sure how the story is going to survive the modern era. I don't know if they're bringing it up to today because there's a lot in it that if you have a cell phone, the story ends. <laughs> yeah, kind of. So, <sighs> yeah, they're going to have to work around that. Because you can bet there'll be an iPhone on screen at some point. Yeah. Well, I know we could do to solve this problem. I'm going to use my iPhone to call somebody. 
show's over, roller coasters. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, we'll see. We'll see what happens. For the record, the 1991 film was incredibly popular. It won seven Academy Awards, including Best Picture. So yep. we'll see what happens. Yep. This is going to be interesting. And the original novelist, Pat Conroy, is involved in this series. So yep. this will be interesting. And now we turn to That Can't Be Right. There's a report, Mike is probably going to have something to say about this, but there's a report out that says if you've got Spotify in your dock and you reinstall Apple Music, it's going to kick it off the dock. Oh. And that's obvious proof that Apple is trying to squash Spotify. Yeah, this is dumb. This was stupid. And Tim Sweeney just ran with this like, of course, just being a chucklehead on this without doing any kind of due diligence because Tim Sweeney doing his thing. He didn't start it, though. It was a guy named Kevin Archer, a developer. Here's what happens. Apple wants Apple Music to be in that fourth spot on the dock. That's right. Whatever is there will get kicked off. Even other Apple apps. Even other Apple apps like Mail, the camera, and that kind of thing. So in a test of this, I put Title, I put Amazon Music, I put Spotify, and then I put Photos. In that fourth spot. In that fourth spot. And guess which one it kicked off? Photos. Photos. That's right. It's not hunting down non-Apple apps. It's not hunting down competitive music apps like Sweeney Millie. Oh, my God, the EU needs to get involved. Immediately spun up his... Yeah, of course. And Apple says it's a bug, which I'm not sure I buy because it's been doing this for a while. Uh, no, it's where you wanted it, but it has yeah. some unintended consequences. Yeah. My philosophy on installing apps is no matter what it is, if it is deleted and is being reinstalled, including Apple apps, it needs to go on your last page. Yeah. But Apple will kind of reinstall anything. Oh, hey, there's a gap on your third page. I'll just put it there. I, I don't know. This is another case of Apple bad yeah. without people even just taking a breath to consider what the reality of the situation is. We've learned two things. Number one is that the guy who started this, Kevin Archer, didn't do his due diligence on testing this stuff because he claimed that Apple's camera app wouldn't be bumped off if you try to reinstall Apple Music. And as it turns out, you test it and that's not true. And then the second thing we've learned is that probably not shocking, but Tim Sweeney doesn't require proof to make clams. Yeah, I don't expect, I do not expect the developer that did this to do that diligence. But, you know, if you're Tim Sweeney, maybe you ought to think about it before you latch on to something stupid. Yep, maybe, because it kind of makes you look stupid. The word leaks gets bandied a lot on tech media sites, and it's often confused with rumor. A rumor is something that is unsubstantiated or doesn't come from an official source, whereas a leak is either somebody obtained documents that confirm things or some employee spoke off the record. It's confirmed that that's a thing. So rumors and leaks, as you go forth and read some of these tech news websites, get used interchangeably, and that's a shame. Okay. Sorry. Anyway, so this story is, in fact, about a leak. And it's a leak that almost smashed the deal that led to Apple's acquisition of Beats. And the leaker is a well-known figure <laughs> named Dr. Dre, and it cost him dearly. So here's what happened. The Apple Beats deal was the world's worst kept secret for about three weeks because they started talking about being the first billionaires, you know, in rap. Yeah. That was specifically Dr. Dre. If you're making a deal where secrecy is part of the deal, keep your mouth shut. Yes. Jimmy Iovine said radio silence from everybody until this is signed and done. They actually had originally agreed to a price that was north of $3 billion, believe it or not. But then Dr. Dre had to run his mouth. <laughs> and talk about how he's going to be the first billionaire in hip hop. And so they used that to shave $200 million off the price. And it ended up that left Dr. Dre just short of the billion. 
how hard is it to keep a secret? Yeah, I am telling you specifically from this chair, it is not hard to keep your mouth shut when somebody tells you to keep your mouth shut about something. It's not hard. Yeah. Anyway. Before this phrase came out into popular parlance, Dr. Dre around and found out. He sure did. <laughs> I'm bleeping myself now. Look at the corrosive influence you have had on me. That's fantastic. <laughs> I'm glad that it has finally happened. Engineering report. Ah, so nice to be back to that. Mike has written an article reviewing the OWC Gemini. It's a new product from those clever people at MaxSales.com, otherwise known as Otherworld Computing, OWC. And it is a dock that will grant you some more port options for your Thunderbolt 3 equipped Mac, as well as local storage. Mike, tell us more about it. In like a minute or less. It, yes. It, it is a dual drive enclosure with a couple of USB-A ports, a pass-through Thunderbolt 3 port, and a display port. Okay. It's okay. It's not fantastic. It is better for a desktop than it is for a laptop because it provides a whole 15 watts of power to the host device. Mm -hmm. 15 watts of power isn't even close. It's less of a problem now because, you know, you've got this whole MagSafe thing. But this would have been a great product. This would have been a 4.5 out of 5 product for me. If this had 87 watts and I don't understand why it doesn't. Because that's an expensive power supply, apparently. You're not bound by space considerations on the desktop. Give it that 87 watts of power to the host. Yeah. What's the problem? Yeah. Now you can buy this starting at $319 for no drive. Yep. No drives. Yep. But it'll hold two internal drives. Up to two 3.5 inch drives. That's correct. Okay. So this is a bit of an odd one. The activity monitor in Mac OS has long been used to give us stats about what's going on inside our computer. However, there's a new claim from the Eclectic Light Company. Ah, ah, cute. Testing on a Mac Studio equipped with an M1 Max, and they seem to believe that the CPU and energy features on Activity Monitor when running on that machine are not accurate, possibly because it doesn't distinguish between the efficiency cores, which are intended to be slower but with lower power usage, and the performance cores, which use more wattage and run faster as a result. Accurate is tough here because the the difference is it just doesn't differentiate between the high power and the high efficiency cores. Right. So who's actually using that? Mm. I feel that Apple should make it accurate to do that. I feel that it's more transparent. Seems obvious to me that it just needs an update, which will probably come with the next Mac OS. No, I doubt it because it hasn't happened yet. Yeah, yeah maybe. Right. We are not on the same Mac OS that Apple Silicon shipped with. That happens 19 months ago. Yeah. Wow. So this is either not a priority or it's not going to get fixed. I'm going to go with not going to get fixed. Hmm. Well, maybe stories like the one on Apple Insider will help draw somebody's attention to it. And they'll wake up the guy who's in charge of that. Yeah, doubt it. but we'll see. Last, last but not least, this is kind of exciting, really. One of the first batch of Apple One computers, really low serial number, already has a bid of $250,000 because of a new auction of Apple memorabilia. There's all kinds of stuff in here, but the other item of primary interest, at least to the media, is a stained Versace shirt belonging to Steve Jobs, currently at 1300 You know, if you want a sub one megahertz machine that doesn't work, you knock yourself out. Knock yourself out. And Steve Jobs' shirt, what's it stained from? Probably just the fact that it's a 40 year old shirt. 
happen. Great. You want this Apple stuff? That's fantastic. I appreciate it. You want to be a collector? That's fantastic. But I just don't understand the ridiculous prices that these things are getting. Apparently, although it's uncased, that Apple one does, in fact, work. It's still sub one megahertz. Yeah, that's true. But while you're waiting for that thing to boot up, because it'll take 10 minutes, why don't you study the shirt and see if you can figure out where those stains on the sleeve came from? Well, I appreciate folks that want to collect this stuff, but, you know, okay. The current bid is $250,000. That will almost certainly go up. But the funny thing about it, because there has been previous Apple ones that have sold for nearly half a million. Yep. But the interesting thing is, among the things in this lot that are Apple-related, a 1993 Apple Macintosh TV... No bids yet. Completely understandable. It was garbage when it shipped. It's garbage now. It was garbage. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks, as always, cadets. And particularly on this, the last regular episode, I just wanted to say that, and I have mentioned this elsewhere, but not only are we proud of the work that we've done, and not only are we proud of the audience that we've attracted, but some of you cadets out there have really gone above and beyond commenting and giving us all kinds of things to make our heads swell and just being generally nice. <laughs> I'm thinking of, for example, Cadet Edith. You don't get a lot of Ediths these days, but we have the best one. Yeah. And especially thanks to all of the listeners who are in countries where English is not the native language. Again, we really appreciate it. So we'll talk to you again, as it turns out, because we're going to definitely be back for the WWDC event. But beyond that, we just don't know. And you'll probably see both Mike and I engaged in some new projects that hopefully will bear some fruit and you'll be interested in. But in the meantime, we always appreciate your support. We appreciate all the people who left five-star reviews. And we hope that you will keep that subscription slash follow going so that you can find out if we drop any surprises. This might actually make us more exciting in a way. Uh, Okay. I appreciate everyone who decided to spend an hour of their week listening to us. I apologize that my life has gotten way too complex to continue with this venture. But as always, I will be running the show and pounding my forehead during the day at the Apple Insider. (laughs) Not only that, but your kids are going to be teens pretty soon. Yeah, they are on that cusp. That is correct. I'll bet you're excited. (laughs) Um, Yeah, actually. That's going to be awesome. Well, they are awesome kids. Until we talk again, cadets, again, thank you. Stand down, and we'll see you on the flip side. So long, everybody. Good night. Space Javelin is produced each week, barring holidays, by Charles Martin, along with co-host Mike Worthley, featuring original music by Bradley McBurney. You can contact us via email at spacejavelin at gmail.com, on Facebook at Space Javelins with an S, and on Twitter at Space Javelin. This podcast is copyright 2022 by Space Javelin, all rights reserved.